This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 50, Kutaloon, Warrior, Wrestler, Princess. Well, hello, everyone, again. It's time for another Incredible Stories podcast, where I hope to bring you stories you probably haven't heard. I'm Josh Virla, your peripatetic host, and thanks for being here. Remember to share the show if you like it. Even if you don't like it, share it anyways. Maybe somebody else will like it. And feel free to send me a show idea or haiku, and just general comment at contact at IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. So today's a special episode. If you've been following the show or if you burn through our archive, you'll know that this is our 50th podcast. And I must say thank you to all of those who follow the podcast. I'm sure I wouldn't have made it to 50 without you listening and enjoying the shows. So what does one do for a 50th episode? A clip show? A best of? No, Josh, don't play like that. I thought today I would hearken back to our first episode, which was about warriors, and make this episode about a totally badass female warrior named Katalun, who lived in the badass Mongolian Empire, rising to fame for her physical dominance in wrestling and being one of her father's most trusted advisors. So, let me drop that 50 on you. Here's what I know. Kutalun was born in 1260 AD in what was the Mongolian Empire. She was the daughter of Kaidu, making her the great-great-granddaughter of legendary Mongol leader and founder of the empire, Genghis Khan. Incidentally, her father was the cousin of also famous Mongol leader Kublai Khan. You don't know about the Mongolian Empire? Well, let me brief you up on that for a moment before I get into Kataloon further. The Mongolian Empire thrived between the 13th and 14th century, extending from the Sea of Japan north to Siberia, as far south as some parts of India and Pakistan, and as far west as Eastern Europe. This was a land area about five times the size that Alexander the Great conquered. Impressive! Rising from the steppes of Asia, the Mongolians went on to kick ass all over the place, excelling in the art of war from horseback. Not surprising, as the Mongols were a nomadic people and horses were a big part of their culture. Now, I won't go into the deep, deep and interesting history of their many rulers and specifically Genghis, but just know through disciplined military, efficient government structure, and savvy politics, the Mongolians consolidated their power and empire. So when we get to the time of Kaidu and Kublai, the empire was going through a sort of internal struggle for the identity of Mongolia. One faction, Kaidu's, was in favor of keeping Mongolia nomadic in nature, whereas Kublai's faction was more in favor of modernizing that and having a more big city center feel of the empire. So Kaidu and Kublai were each cons of a region. Think of them as tribal chieftain or kings of an area. Note great cons like Genghis differ in that all the ruling cons submit to the great con, so that would make a great con like an emperor. 
There are other names for it, but honestly there are already too many cause and ons that it's getting confusing, so just know that Kaidu and Kublai were at odds for about 30 years as to who would control all of Mongolia as the Great Khan. Kaidu's territory was the northwestern part of modern-day China and Central Asia in regions of Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and many other Stan countries. Kublai ruled over what is Mongolia proper and most of what else is called China as the founder of the Yuan Dynasty and first Mongolian Emperor of China. Okay, got all that? Good. So this is the world that Kaidu's daughter, Kutalun, which name also means moonlight or bright moon, grew up in. So you got war all around you in the harsh nomadic lands of Central Asia. Throw on top of that, your father has 14 sons. Imagine being the youngest girl in a house full of your warrior king dad's house. So many smelly gurs. Gurs are the traditional Mongolian dwelling, similar to yurts by the way. Okay, now another aspect of Mongolian culture is that of wrestling. I mean, they love this stuff. It's the national sport of Mongolia. And I'll put a link to some Mongolian wrestling in the show notes, so check it out. Naturally, Kutalun grew up roughhousing with her brothers and became pretty good at wrestling and just fighting in general. Now, she also grew up to be quite adept at racing horses and archery. Incidentally, the Mongolians have a big festival each year called the Nadam, which features these three events. I'm not sure if this festival was around during Kutalun's time, but I'm sure these type of games have been around forever in some incarnation. So our girl Kay was so good at sport, and particularly wrestling, that her status grew. And that's because winning sports, and especially wrestling, was the epitome of Mongolianism. Think of this how soccer is viewed in Brazil, perhaps. Of the 26 Olympic medals that Mongolia has, 9 of them are in wrestling, 8 in judo. Also to note, in Mongolian wrestling, there are no weight classes, so anyone can wrestle anyone. And your ability in wrestling, and sports in general, in Mongolia back in the old days, made you some sort of spirit-infused badass gifted by the gods, and that made you good to have around, especially in battle. And even though today, Mongolian wrestling isn't intersex, back in the day, they didn't care who could beat whom as long as you won, that's all that mattered. So Kutalun won wrestling matches, like all of her wrestling matches. Seriously, no one could beat this girl. You'd come at her and she'd just toss your ass to the ground. Also, in battle, she was fierce and a trusted advisor to her father Kaidu who was pretty much at constant war with her cousin Kublai Khan, who was heading up China's Yuan Dynasty at this time. In battle, Kutalun made a name for herself by having no fear, and again, just being a badass in general. Her position in her father's army was basically as a commander of one of his heavy cavalry regiments, which were the soldiers not armed with bows. In the Mongolian army, six out of ten troops were light cavalry horse archers, and the other four were heavily armored lancers, usually. So that's a lot of horses. In fact, an average soldier maintained three to five horses just for battle, but some could have had as many as 20. So check this out. In battle, Kutalun would ride quickly at the enemy lines and grab an imposing soldier off his horse, bringing him back as a captive. 
This is really pee your pants worthy stuff. Imagine knowing your opponent has an undefeated wrestling champion blessed by the gods and she's coming at you. And she's probably doubly blessed because she's a female warrior and if she defeated all those men wrestling, well, what chance do you have? Good point, average soldier of the Mongolian Empire. Marco Polo and some other contemporaries even described Kutalun as being an awesome warrior comparing her fighting style to the way a hawk would swoop down and catch prey. Fast, efficient, and cool looking. So we've established that this warrior princess was badass, and her prestige and legend not only grew, but of course made her desirable. Now typically, back in the day in Mongolia, and many parts of the world, women were married off at the age of 14-ish, give or take. And of course, Kutalun's father knew he could form some good alliances and grow his power if he could encourage his daughter to get married. Ah, uh, but Kutalun wasn't so much interested in getting married. Why? Who knows? Maybe she loved the single life, maybe she wasn't so much into guys, or maybe she just knew she was better than any man who wanted to marry her. But okay, no worries. Kataloon wasn't totally unreasonable. She did agree to marry on one condition. That any man who wanted to marry her must beat her in a wrestling match. Okay, maybe she was unreasonable. Remember, she was an amazing wrestler. So, the terms of her wrestling matches was that if she lost, she would marry the suitor. But if the suitor lost, then he had to give her 100 horses. Some sources say 10 horses, though. She was somewhat like a human sword in the stone, attracting male callers from all over willing to try their hand at marrying this fierce warrior princess. Okay, so 10,000 horses later, Kataloon was still not married and had a herd comparable in size to leaders of countries. Now 10,000 sounds like a lot and it might be an exaggeration just to say she had an ass ton of horses. But keep in mind that in Mongolia, there is something like 3 million horses roaming around today. And today, Mongolia has a population of about 3 million people. So families today and back then kept very large herds of which they could easily pay her fee of 10 or 100 horses. And I'd say a 100 horse fee to marry the head guy's daughter seems like a fair price. And to amass her 10,000 horse herd, she would only have had to have won about 100 matches if her fee was 100 horses or 1,000 matches if it were 10. So that seems like it's within the realm of possibility there. In fact, Marco Polo said one cocky prince challenged Kutaloon to marry and confidently bet her 1,000 horses. At this time, Kutaloon would have been about 20 years old in 1280 AD. Now, this handsome prince wasn't a bad guy, and he would have been considered a catch for anyone at the time. Kutaloon's family begged her to throw the match so she could land this heck of a fella. So she initially was going to give in and be like, fine mom and dad, I guess I'll settle on this guy since you want it so bad. But as the match commenced, that competitive drive, that eye of the tiger took over and Kutaloon swept that leg and said, thanks for the horses as she promptly beat him. That prince left in shame. Of course, it must be said that sometimes we can't be confident at what Marco Polo said. He may have been a bit of a showman when it comes to his accounts, 
But a lot of his stuff does pan out to be true, and there were contemporaries that also relayed pretty much the same stories of her. So eventually rumors started to fly that these wrestling matches were a clever guise to cover up the fact that Kutaloon enjoyed an incestuous relationship with her father Kaidu, and that's why she hadn't been married yet. Ooh, scandalous. Well, obviously, Kutaloon would have been bothered by the perception of her family being painted in this light. So she did eventually, by some accounts, marry some guy named Abdakul by her own choosing. Who is this guy, Abdakul? He must have been a great wrestler to have bested Kutaloon in wrestling. Not really. In fact, she didn't even wrestle him. Well, surely he was some sort of demigod whose legend of his epicness was well known throughout the land. Nope, try again. Okay, well, he must have been an incredibly important ruler or political ally. Sorry, no. Abdakul was a failed assassin who was supposed to have killed Kutaloon's father, Kaidu Khan. Apparently, Kubla Khan had sent him, but when the assassin was captured, Kaidu said, Okay, this guy... He's got to get offed, so he sentenced him to death. But when Abdakul's mother heard of this, she threw herself at the feet of Kaidu, begging that she be executed in his place. But then Abdakul was like, Mom, you're embarrassing me. I'm a man. Kaidu, please pay no mind to my mother. I'll happily accept my execution as a man. Well, Kaidu was quite impressed with the family's devotion and honor that he said, You know what? I can tell you are people of substance. Even though you tried to kill me, I get it. It's war. I tell you what, Abdukul, I'll let you go and offer you a position in my army as an officer if you pledge your loyalty to me. Well, of course, Abdukul took that deal. So, some time passed and Abdakul gets wounded in battle, as people did back then, and while recuperating back in camp, he met Kutalun, and as they say, sparks flew. So they got married. But did Kutalun put on an apron and get domesticated? Hell no! Like the wild horses of the steppes, she charted her own course and continued battling with her father over the years, and at one particular battle, the Battle of Karakata near the Zavkan River in 1301 AD, the princess, now in her 40s, fought a three-day battle against the Chinese army of the Yuan Dynasty. Her cousin Kublai Khan had died in 1294 from poor health, probably from diabetes and gout-related illnesses. He was 78. But in his place, Timur took over as emperor of the Yuan Dynasty and Khan. Now, her father's army was outnumbered 100 to 1, and on the fourth day of battle, Kaidu was injured and almost captured. But he said, I'm not going out like this, son. I'm pulling out all the stops. So, he devised a battle plan where he had his army light campfires. So the Chinese army's generals were like, hmm, it seems like Kaidu now has reinforcements. But at this time, Kaidu withdrew his forces. But his opponents were suspicious of this tactic and knew surely they were about to be ambushed. And instead of giving chase, they fled, giving a surprise victory to Kaidu. Hooray! However, Kaidu grew more ill from his injuries and wanted to make Kutaloon his favorite, the new Khan leader. 
or more accurately, she would have been called a Katun or Kagon, as that is the female equivalent of Khan. However, there was much opposition from her brothers and other family members who resented being passed over as they were older than her. Eventually, Kataloon said, you know what guys, I'm not that interested in being the great leader. I'd much rather continue being a badass and command armies. So she actually supported her brother Oris to take over her father's title of Khan in exchange of being named General of the Army. Seems like a fair trade. Her father died about a month after his wounds and, following her father's death, it is a bit unclear as to what actually took place in regards to what Kataloon did. For sure, she stood guard over her father's tomb, and it also seems that she continued to make things difficult for Timur and the Chinese, continuing to battle their forces until 1306, where she was either killed in battle or assassinated at the age of 45 or 46. Either way, seems like a fitting end for a badass warrior princess, legend of the Mongolian Empire. The uncertainty of her death just adds to her legend. It is certain, though, that after her death, the Mongolian Empire began to decline, largely from infighting and their inability to hold control over the far reaches of their empire. And that's the story of Kutalun, the wrestler warrior princess of the Mongolians. And now you know what I know. Well, they sure don't make them like that anymore. Warrior princesses are always fascinating, and add to that the lore and mystic aura that surrounds the Mongolian Empire and you got yourself one very incredible story. An incredible story that needs a big budget Hollywood film made. But the interesting thing is that this happened in real life, no script embellishments necessary. No hashtag girl power campaigns needed, she lived it. You could say the Mongolians were a bit ahead of the curve when it came to women empowerment because it wasn't uncommon for women to be fierce warriors and leaders in the Mongolian Empire. And regardless of her gender, her badassness can't be questioned. I doubt I would have had what it took to command Mongolian armies, much less had the stomach for that kind of warfare. And how many Mongolian wrestling matches could you win? You know, Kutaloon's dominance over male wrestlers did have an influence on future wrestling in Mongolia. You may notice that Mongolian wrestlers wear an open-chested jacket called a Zodog. And because intersex wrestling isn't something one does, this open jacket is meant to expose the wrestler's chest to prove they are male and avoid the shame of losing to a woman, I suppose. But if anything, this jacket is more of an homage to her amazing ability and prowess. And maybe it is to prove that the winner of the match is not, in fact, the legendary Kataloon returned. And that's pretty cool. And now it's time for something that itself hasn't lost a single match. The Haiku! I will beat you. Have you peen or vagine, Kutaloon Supreme? And that's all the time this week, guys. Check out our main site for other stories on IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email or haiku, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Rate us on iTunes and peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. I'll probably take some time off here as it's the holidays, but feel free to check our archive for the rest of our stories. And check us out on Facebook. Of course, I'll post some links to interesting stories there. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And remember, 
The journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. Adventures of love. 